The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. She called and left a message on my answering machine saying, you know, hi, Jeanette, Cindy. Listen, today's really not good. And if you get this message, let's just reschedule. And if you don't, just come. So I listened to it and I'm like, I'm going. The voice you heard at the top of the show is Jeanette Montgomery Barron. She's here to talk about the evolution of the art of photography in the United States and a little abroad. Also about the rise of social media. But first, me, Bill McCuddy, together with culture writer Scott Alexander and cool hunting editor David Graver. Gentlemen, let me begin by asking, can the eye of a photographer be learned or is it inborn? Scott? Oh, I think it's all learned. I think that, uh, absolutely. I mean, obviously some people are more artists than others, but I think that all artists get training also. The great, the great photographers that we can name it throughout history didn't just sort of, weren't just born that way. I so desperately want to disagree with you. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) You know, I like that. (laughs) I I do think talent is innate. I think technical skills can be taught like the rule of thirds and framing can be taught, but you have to have the desire to be and the capability to see through. To me, it's the marriage of training and talent. So without the talent, all the training in the world won't do you much. I do, but without the training, all the talent in the world won't do you much. So we have a great question. Training is necessary. I do encourage training. (laughs) (laughs) We have a great question for our guest. My my, one of my first ones for you though is: Do you remember the first photograph you ever took, David? What what was the camera, and what what was the whether it was somebody in the family or a friend or it was a toy Polaroid camera. And uh, I don't remember the actual, but it, it was of a family member. Actually, it was of our dog, Perky. Uh, may Perky rest in peace. <laughs> Perky's no longer with Perky's us. Perky's no longer with us. Not the, not the ideal name for Perky at this point, no. uh, sadly. I had a little and one of those Scott. Kodak uh, 110 cameras with the cartridge film with the two rolls on either side that just popped into the camera. I saved up money uh, to buy this thing because I was going on a school trip to the World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and I got home, and I got my heart broken on that trip by my very first girlfriend. Any and pictures I, of that? When I got home, I got the pictures developed, and I had cut off the head of every single person I took a photo of. <laughs> oh <my> so <laughs> apparently you can be born with a bad eye. So that's, that's right. What's like, did it have those square uh, flash bulbs and turned yes, every time you took the like it? They each had four, and it go go and crank and crank yep. and, and crank and smash. It did this cool, weird smashing thing when it <laughs> went off. It exploded. I just grew up not really knowing much about photographers. It was Jimmy Olsen and Superman. It was you know it wasn't anybody that was as hip or cool as our guest is, and it, they weren't hanging around the kinds of people Keith Haring and and Andy Warhol. That uh, that she's hung around. So this is going to be kind of new for me. Well, I was actually raised on Robert Maplethorpe, which is a very challenging oh thing to say because his <laughs> photography by, is so explains so <laughs> much, David. <laughs> I, my birthday is November fourth. Robert Maplethorpe's birthday is November fourth, and I saw in a calendar when I was twelve that we shared a birthday, and went to a library and looked up Robert Maplethorpe, and that's how I learned about his work. 
And a wow. lot of other things. And wow. a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I had a huge epiphany about photography. Uh, my One of my first jobs out of college was working at a bookstore in New York City, Tower Books, which was one of the great bookstores back when we had great bookstores here. But we uh, there was a lot of really artsy, interesting stuff. And I stocked, I was tasked to stock the photography section. I knew almost nothing about photography, but I stocked the photography section of Tower Books for a year. And I swear it was better than a year of college. Uh, <laughs> I did take an intro to photography class at university, and I got a B minus. What does that mean? What is a B minus in a photography class? You were supposed to get an F stuff. So what what happened? What's the one thing you remembered from that class that you carried for in taking photography, even to this day? That to develop a good photo, you need true whites and you need true blacks. That's the the sign of a truly crisp image. Right. And that is with me forever. I do. St- I shoot on a Leica Q2 now for cool hunting. I take all of my own photos. But that's digital, no? That is a, dig- it's right. a digital camera. So when's the last time you actually took a roll of film to a, a Walgreens and got like 24 pictures back? We had disposable cameras at our wedding on tables. They're great. Those those disposable cameras, they free people up. People, because you don't see the photo immediately, especially at a wedding, people, they go crazy and they do crazy stuff. Where do you develop they're like, them no now? one's ever going to see this. Where do you take them? people are. You can send them in. You send them in. Remember when there's a photo store? My son is shooting a ton of 16 millimeter now uh, film because he loves it. It's the hipster thing. He's 21 years old. Stop. Right, but he's shooting 16 millimeter and sending it off to be developed at labs. There's fewer labs; you have to mail it in. There's no photomat. That's crazy. That seems like such a giant step back. Everyone is taking so many photographs these days. I I play a game with my friends where I make them open their um, their camera app and go to recent photos. I have 53 thousand photos on my phone. That is an absurd amount of images. What film does is it makes you choose. Yes. When you're using an actual physical thing that costs you a certain amount to to shoot and a certain amount to develop, you make really, really thoughtful choices when you go to actually make a photo. But I think also the next generation, uh, my daughter and everyone in their 20s right now is also become an editor. I mean, because they overshoot everything. 53,000 images in your camera. You right. need to do a little editing. But what I'm saying <laughs> is I see I see couple, I see all these kids taking selfies on the sides of mountains and, and, and they take like hundreds and then they go, okay, bad, 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 Indeed. good. Bad, 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 or, bad. Or good. they don't and they just keep them all and they've had 53,000 right. pictures right. in their camera. I'd be very curious to know if Jeanette is on Instagram and if so, has it helped her career or has it inhibited her career? I, for one get Instagram anxiety over posting. I post every three weeks because I'm afraid of how many likes I'll get or won't get. I'm going to bet she was resistant to it if she is on it now. And I and I imagine that's because it is pretty commercial. It feels like, oh, this is who I am. On the other hand, it may have gotten her some work. We'll find out. I'm going to say you- that whether she's on it or not, uh, social media is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there are 666 pictures in my phone. Um, what about the, when was the turning point in the art world? And when did photography become collectible, expensive, and work its way into Christie's, Sotheby's, and, and those places? That's been going on for a long time, since the mid-20th century, certainly. Uh, you had a lot of functional photography before that, a lot of documenting of things and things like this. But then you had actual it being taught in art schools starting in the 50s. Yeah. I mean, I don't think some of that prehistoric World War I stuff and uh, was considered art until uh, 
in the last 10 or 15 years Agreed. and suddenly collectors are coming along and they they want anything as long as the image a is A lot of what's get what gets brought up as art was sort of almost accidental because it was journalism. Right. It was things like right. people shooting in the Spanish-American War and things like that where, you know, okay, there's a lot of photography coming out of there. They didn't think they were making art, but they were actually brilliant. Um, well, it's a journalist. good point. We think of Jeanette as uh, a portrait uh, photographer, but she was actually kind of a photojournalist. Yeah, if you look at someone was... like Ouija, right? Ouija gets pulled up in all these galleries. He was shooting for the Post. He was shooting for the tabloids in, in New York. He just happened to have this amazing eye. And then you have an artist like Cindy Sherman who takes photos of herself. And all amazing eyes that they were either born with or were cultivated, we're not sure. But we're going to ask Jeanette Montgomery Barron when we return on The Accutron Show. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960, from New York City to around the world. Jeanette, we've been having a conversation about whether the artist or photographer's eye is something that develops or you're born with. Can can you learn to look at something and have uh, the sense of a photographer, or is that in your DNA? I think a little bit of both. Um, I grew up, um, you know, kind of looking at everything, snapping pictures with my eyes, thinking I was taking pictures, and that I was going to have a big slideshow when I went to heaven. Um, <laughs> and that was that was when I was eight or nine in the cafeteria, school cafeteria. But that being said. Um, my my eye has definitely become more refined. Um, it's different than it was when I was in my twenties, and I and I work differently than I did in my twenties. Um, I think the iPhone has really allowed people to develop their eyes. Yeah, it's become more of a natural thing to compose photographs, and people are thinking that way. Back when uh, when I was growing up, uh, cameras were much more rare. You had to go buy a camera. They were kind of expensive. Even a low-level camera was a couple hundred bucks, let alone something good. What was your yeah. first camera? Um, I had a Brownie, Kodak Brownie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brownie. And I had... The cartridge film. Yep. Then I had... Yeah, they had like um, cartridge, but they were also, but I think they were also roll film. It was roll film. Oh, sure. Um, then I had a polar... Polaroid Swinger. Oh yeah, which was great. Yeah, um, I remember those commercials. It was black and white, and it had a yes. little thing you squeezed before you pushed it down on the shutter. That a little red button yeah. up there. Yeah, and it had a strap. <laughs> All right. It had this cool strap. <laughs> what subject you know, matter? It's, it's very. Uh, what subject matter were you drawn to then? Um, you know, whatever was in front of me, my brother, my dogs, um, you know, something outside. But that—that that was it for my friends. Did you end up studying uh, um, photography formally? I did. I went to the International Center of Photography when it was up on Fifth Avenue, and it was just started. It was in a brownstone. Oh, wow. It started by Cornell Kappa, and, you know, you'd see Jackie O coming down the steps sometimes, and it was, <laughs> it was kind of cool. With Ron Gillier, with somebody the- trying to photograph yeah. her? Yeah. When did you become interested in portraiture? So much of your, your body of work is this exquisite portraiture that you, you really capture the energy of a human being. Oh, thank you. Um, that happened at ICP because I grew up, I was very shy as a child. And uh, as one of my friends says, you know, Jeanette didn't start talking till she was 21. It's almost correct. <laughs> but, um, but when you did, it was full sentences. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I'm still working on it. When, um, when I was at ICP, I took a portraiture class and, you know, I had to go out and I went out into Central Park and asked people if I could photograph them. 
which was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I, I realized I, I really liked the process of photographing someone. And, um, and it just took off from there. And then I, I got to know through my brother and through some friends and, and uh, my friends in Zurich, they introduced me to some of the artists in New York and then Bruno Bischofberger, and it kind of snowballed from there. And this um, is after you were at ICP? Yeah, not too long after. How did you find yourself in a room photographing Warhol and Herring and, and Robert Maplethorpe? <laughs> um, you know, it was just what I did back then. I would phone these people up or I would meet them and I would ask if I could photograph them. Some were commissions and I didn't have any problem. I, I somehow got very comfortable photographing these kind of people. I, it didn't bother me one bit. Um, I mean, that being said, I always do, I still do get nervous before I take a portrait. Hmm. I think I always will. And I think it keeps me on my toes. Do you um, think as an artist, it's different to photograph another artist? Absolutely. Um, one of the scariest things was photographing Robert Maplethorpe, who was a photographer I very much admired. And I, I got really worked up before that one. But he, he was so sweet to me. He really made me feel comfortable. Um, you know, you're always imagining, oh, gosh, that photographer's looking at me like, she doesn't know what she's doing. You know, how does she <laughs> think she's doing that right? But I would imagine there might, there might also be some empathy uh, from someone who, you know, does portraiture as he does. Yeah. Yes, um, absolutely. I, I, would, yeah. I would think you also shot Cindy Sherman, right? I did. That was before um, Maplethorpe. And, you know, Cindy Sherman at the time was not the Cindy Sherman she is now. She was very well known, but, you know, she wasn't Cindy Sherman. You know? mm -hmm. So I didn't get that, you know, worked up about that. It's um, such a but, strange thing, though, to, to do a portrait of Cindy Sherman when her work is portraits of Cindy Sherman. <laughs> I, know. I know. Or do Maplethorpe when his, you know, photographs can be so controversial. Did, did any of these people, and I'm particularly interested in Andy Warhol, do they art direct themselves? Do they try and tell you what they think the photograph should look like? And how do you deal with that? You know, I don't, I think they maybe uh, occasionally people would say, I, I re really like, I'd like to be over here. Or I'd like to sit in this chair or whatever. And I pretty much went along with that because I just wanted them to be comfortable and I didn't want to impose anything on them. And that's really the way I felt about it. So Maplethorpe was, was clothed. Uh, and, and, and what about Warhol? Like, what was it like to be in the factory in the, at that time? Well, you know, Warhol didn't give you much time. He, I mean, the first time I photographed him, it was in the lobby of the factory that was on Union Square. He gave me five minutes. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, okay, we're in the lobby. Okay. All right, fine. But I mean, he could have made time, three lithographs in that time. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Somebody was doing it up in the factory. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Then I, I, he got to know me. He saw me around. He, you know, people told him I was okay. And so I was able to be around the factory and I, you know, he gave me 15 or 20 or 30 the next time. Um, but I was a known, you know, an okay person. What drew you to this downtown New York scene at this time? Anything that was different from Atlanta, Georgia, I went for. <laughs> That's where you were born and then came to New York and instantly, yeah. not instantly, but really did fall into the art scene. And, and when we say then, we're talking about what period of time? The early 70s? The mid? Uh, no, the, to... the late 70s. Um, you know, although I did go up to New York in the, in the mid 70s, but I didn't live there till the late 70s. Going back to the Atlanta thing, my brother subscribed to Interview Magazine, 
in the early 70s and we would look at it, we'd get it out of the mailbox and like, oh my God, can you believe this? Let's go. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> we got to get up there. Now, so uh, if I, it sounded earlier like you said you cold called Andy Warhol. Is that is that how that worked? Um, you know, I can't. I think the first time I did, I yeah, I did. <laughs> so I'm wondering um, if there's a connection there to you said you earlier were going out in Central Park and asking people if you could shoot them. That sort of boldness that that was hard for you is that a sort of a muscle you feel like you can develop like that asking? Yeah, I can. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, I can do that. I mean, I'm I'm pretty um, shy, but I can still ask for things like that. I'm curious about that shyness because it's one of the things that, let's say, Robert De Niro does when he goes to a party. He kind of blends into the wallpaper and nobody knows he's there and then suddenly he's gone. Is that kind of how yeah. you operate when you're in yeah. Keith Haring's studio, let's say, yeah. for an afternoon and shooting him? You just try and blend in? Absolutely. I try to be a fly on the wall. And I always did, you know, I went out, there were nightclubs that we went to or, you know, uh, places that we went at night. I just wanted to watch everybody. I really didn't care about doing anything else, just looking at what everybody was doing. It almost feels more journalistic uh, in some ways. Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, again, it's maybe going back to the recording with my eyes that I did in the cafeteria when I was a kid. I'm just, I'm recording it. And then later on, I, I want to go back to the Polaroid swinger for a second because that Polaroids became kind of important during the Warhol period, and and the giant ones that came along later were you were you shooting in that medium at all the SX seventies and those kind of seventies yeah. born cameras? Oh, I love that, but I didn't ever use the the very very large format one that you know was a studio uh, Polaroid that photographers like Mary Ellen Mark and all those people use. But only I loved I loved Polaroids, and that's what I used to travel with. If you can believe it, you know, carrying all this stuff around. Yeah, everyone would shoot a test before in Polaroid, and then they would bring their other cameras out and start shooting. But uh, but it became sort of, and I know Warhol did it a lot. Uh, he used it as art and and yeah. composed oh, yeah. with it for yeah absolutely <laughs> you and you know who else uses Polaroid is uh, John Waters and uh, who I know and have photographed he photograph he takes a Polaroid of whoever com comes into his home he has a record of everybody <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing and yet a little frightening <laughs> what yeah. do you, what do you shoot on what do you like to shoot on these days Jeanette. My iPhone, um, I use... Would I you say that's your husband. primary uh, instrument now? Yeah. Well, yeah, unless I'm doing, you know, some, uh, like, commercial job, they're not going to... They don't want you to use your iPhone. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I use a Fuji uh, Color Digital, which is called a GFX. I love it. Mm -hmm. I also still use my old Hasselblad 500CM. Oh, nice. But with a with a digital back now, mm -hmm. um, I use um, a Mamiya Seven, which is a film camera, and another Fuji, which is a film. It, it depends on what I'm doing. So, like, what percentage of your work is on film these days? Oh gosh, maybe ten percent. Wow. Do you miss it at all? Yeah. Do you did you develop your own stuff? Did you go into the dark room and? I did, um, but you know, I learned very quickly that. I spent too much time in the dark room, and I and I found great printers. But I do know how to print and develop and all that. Um, I don't miss that. I really don't. I um, I I just you know I was I'm really all about getting the picture. 
And the after part doesn't really interest me that much. Jeanette, you just had a major retrospective at Patrick Parrish. Will you tell me, what's that the culmination of? <laughs> um, that's the culmination of, you know, many years of taking portraits and, and, and the portraits now being, you know, considered sort of iconic. Uh, and, you know, it's a certain moment in time in New York. You know, a lot of these portraits are now in some very good museum collections. And so for me, it was a very important show to have in New York. Is there anyone you've cold called or anyone you wanted to photograph that uh, turned you down or you weren't able to get? Yeah, but I can't tell you who that was. (laughs) We won't record that part, I promise. Is there anyone that you cold called who you were surprised that you did get? Cindy Sherman. Uh Uh-huh. That was a cold call again. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because she, that that day, she called and left a message on my answering machine saying, you know, hi, Jeanette, it's Cindy. Listen, today's really not good. And if you get this message, let's just reschedule. And if you don't, just come. So I listened to it and I'm like, I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't hear that message. (laughs) Because, right. you know, I don't know, maybe she had a change of heart. and uh, Well, now she know. knows. Well, you never know. <laughs> if you don't take that opportunity when it comes your way immediately, you don't know that it's going to materialize No, you later. don't. You don't. I think, actually, Jeanette, you told me you have to be prepared to take the shot. You always have to be prepared to take the shot. And that really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've shot a lot of famous folk. Um, that there's something very different about shooting your family. I think you have a, a project that involved your family pretty intimately, no? Yeah, my mother's clothes, which, um, you know, was really not a... I didn't photograph my mother, but I photographed her clothes. She had Alzheimer's. And um, it turns out, as I started photographing her clothes, just for her, she remembered her life and what she'd done in those clothes. So it turned into more of a story. And my first real uh, stab at writing, too. Oh, so interesting. photographs and writing. What did it feel like to share something like that? It felt very therapeutic. Um, it's, it's, I don't know if any of you have had um, someone you've known had all, you know, that had Alzheimer's. It's just terrible. It's so terrible to see your mother not recognize you um, and, um, and, and just be this person that you, don't, you can't recognize. So for me, I, I lost her, but then I got her back and I shared her with the world. And yeah. I have to ask if photography played any role in jarring her and bringing her back to some things that she had forgotten. Yeah. So, you know, I started taking the pictures just for her as a catalog of her, you know, very expansive clothing collection. And I put, a, you know, made some Epsom prints and then showed them to her. And she said, oh, I went to such and such of a party in that dress. It's like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to remember this. But she did. And that's that's really why I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they almost act as a key... Uh, back into certain moments in her life. Yeah. How do you feel about portraiture potentially post-pandemic? Oh, gosh. Um, you mean in, in the sense of uh, taking them again and being around people commercially or, yeah. or just, it's, got, you know, I don't know. It's really, it's going to be challenging. I, I had a commercial job. I think, David, I told you about it. That was canceled. Um, you know, I don't know how I'm going to work photographing someone in close range anymore. I guess we're just, you know, I'll be wearing a mask and they won't. Well, that fly-on-the-wall journalistic style feels like it'll be much more difficult now. Like, it's there's a formalization that's sort of 
creeping a, a distance with the subject with with the COVID thing because everyone everything yeah. is permissioned so heavily. Right. Exactly. What are your thoughts on uh, on Instagram? Instagram, I think, is great. Um, it's been great for me, and I use it as a tool. I, I've got well, actually, the Patrick Parrish show came out of Instagram. He saw my work on Instagram and offered me a show. A lot of that kind of thing has happened to me, uh, and my work has gotten out there and been seen by people who may not have seen it before. Did and you feel that for, way at first? Did you think, oh, this is a little commercial or weird, yeah. or this is a way well, I don't want to expose my work? Yeah, I, I did. Because a lot of uh, my photographer friends were like, don't put your pictures on there because they're going to own them. You know, there was a lot of that kind of thing going on. And, um, you know, my pictures are floating around all over the place at this point. So, you know, what, what, do, what do I have to lose? Do you feel like really? this? The, the Instagram, though, represents this real deluge of additional work being done by amateurs in the world, though? It's everybody with an iPhone can yeah. put a photo up there. Does that change, you feel like, the role of the professional photographer? No, because those people are doing whatever they're doing. They're doing their selfies. They're doing their food, their vacations. And that's great. You know, I have all the power to them. Um, but I think photographers are using it as a tool um, to get response from other photographers, from, um, you know, creative um, people who are looking for images. And I think that's it's great. And Jeanette... Montgomery Barron has yes. never taken a selfie. <laughs> no. we, we won't find one on, on Instagram at all? No, and I, I don't think I ever will. I hate being photographed. I hate photographs of myself. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why. That's in the dictionary under irony. That's yeah. well, what about when some young uh, Jeanette uh, Barron comes along and wants to photograph the artist? Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> when do you think photography started being received as an art form? I think um, the 70s, the late 60s, early 70s. I mean, that, that was my, maybe earlier, but I, that's when I was sort of understanding it. And, and um, yeah, it's, you know, seeing galleries and seeing books on photography Having gone through the ICP training, I mean, I would assume that a lot of that trains your eye. And most people, like my kids, for instance, they're growing up with a camera in their pocket as part of sort of their kit for life. Everybody just has this thing, and they're kind of intuiting their way to it. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between training the eye to, to frame and to, and to make yeah. photos versus intuiting? Sure. Well, you know, ICP, I was trained to crop in the camera, not after. So, you know, anything you, you, you did not crop after you, that was, that was the rule. And if you did, you felt really bad, like you broken the code. Um, so I still try to adhere to that. And I think now you've got all this Photoshop and you've got the cropping tools on your, on your iPhone and, and that's what people are doing. And they're, saturating the color and you know everything yeah I using filters uh, all kinds of stuff i can't let you go without giving his kids and the rest of us uh a little advice on our iphone what's the one thing we're doing wrong and anybody listening how can they how can they take a more professional looking photograph <laughs> oh gosh um, that's really, that's complicated. Don't use all those filters. Just take the picture. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love that. Well, framing, I think your focus on framing and, and trying to pre-visualize 
uh, that that makes a lot of sense. I yeah. think that a yeah. lot of that is people are too reliant on post these days. I feel like. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I don't know if you remember the the TV show Dragnet, sure, but sure. there were two, de- two detectives. And one of them said, just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> Jack Webb, Joe Friday. Yeah. Just the photo, that's, dude. That's the way I feel like, yeah, just give me the facts, all right? You left New York City and you went to Italy for several years. What did Italy teach you about photography? Color. Hmm. Color was really, I I was never a color photographer and I turned into a color photographer in Italy. And it was great. And also, I had the advantage of being a foreigner in this beautiful uh, paradise. And I saw it differently than an Italian would, would see it. And um, yeah, I, you know, light color is what it taught me. And then you came back to New York and became an, an icon, shooting some <laughs> icons. And uh, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Uh, do you feel, uh, before I let you go, uh, upbeat about New York City? And will you be back? Well, I live actually in Connecticut. I have not lived in New York since 2003. I think New York will always be New York. I think it'll come back. It always does. It's always going to be a place where people want to go. Well, and they have some galleries here, Jeanette. So apparently you do get into town every now and then. Exactly. I, I'm <laughs> planning to very soon. Hey, come and take our pictures. Okay. <laughs> Don't think about it. Just shoot. That's right. Just the facts, Sounds man. Good. <laughs> Sounds good. Jeanette Montgomery Barron, thank you so much for joining us on the Accutron Show. On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for the Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks.